Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Hello, Americans. Happy 4th of July. Okay, I finished quoting Paul Harvey. Now let's uh, let's get down to biz. It uh, occurred to me while I was driving over here uh, th- that something is missing. We um, we talk about I do to you. You listen, presumably. Sometimes you talk back to me via harryshearer.com about the incessant habit of the advertising industry to try to get more data on you and me as consumers of advertising-supported media. And the reason they do this, so they say, is, uh, well, two reasons. To try to target us, they hate spending money on people who are not likely prospects. So the more they know about who's listening or watching, the more they know how much money they're wasting on unlikely prospects. But they also want data and are continuing to try to get more data to um, prove to the companies that spend the money on advertising that it works that it's not a total waste of money. And and uh, this came up in the context of I was driving, I was listening to something, commercials started on the car radio, and I turned the volume down. And that's what made me wonder, gee, I don't think I've ever heard or read of them collecting data on who hits the mute button. And the reason, of course, is because that would prove that they are wasting their money. Now, much of this program will be devoted to uh, climbing down into the memory hole. It's necessary, ladies and gentlemen, in this country, because we stuff it daily. And a case in point arose this week. You, I'm sure by now have heard that the United States has withdrawn from or abandoned the Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan, preparatory to our skedaddling totally out of there. After only 20 years, you know, we're barely starting. It should be a 100 years war, let's face it. Anyway, I... um, was interested enough to check the stories in much of the major media. And I think Reuters was the only one of the ones I checked to share with its readers this particular piece of information about Bagram. Everybody else, the Timeses and the Posts and the Toasties, uh, all you know mentioned it was where U.S troops' activities in Afghanistan were headquartered and blah, blah, blah. Only Reuters, as I say, in the ones I checked, happened to mention this interesting little fact. It was one of the black sites where the U.S. practiced enhanced interrogation. I'm, I'm sorry, I meant torture. And in fact, the first 
death by torture at the hands of the United States during the, uh, the recent war occurred at Bagram, where we uh, subjected a detainee to, uh, well, to nudity and frozen temperatures. Let's put it that way. And he went and died. He went and died on us. So when we're remembering Bagram, maybe we should remember that. Hello, welcome to the show. Tune. Hey, but it's all right. 
have to be alright You can't be forever blessed Still tomorrow is another working day And I'm trying to get some rest So I'm trying From New Orleans, where it's cooler than Seattle. Not bragging. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. So, uh, finishing the thought from before, if we want to uh, freeze somebody to death in detainment, in detention from now on, I guess we're going to have to do it uh, back in Poland. And speaking of Poland... In its latest report, released this week on the sexual abuse of minors, yes, there's more than one report on that, from Poland's Catholic Church. It now lists 292 clergymen alleged to have abused over 300 boys and girls from 1958 through uh, last year. That's a lot of priests. I'm just going to point that out to uh, casual listeners. But wait, there's more. The cases were reported to church authorities from mid-1918 till the end of last year. Reports came from the victims, their families, other clergymen, the media, and from other sources. Who would they be? At an online conference in Warsaw, the head of Poland's Catholic Church, Archbishop Wojciech Polak, I just read them, apologized to the victims and asked their forgiveness, echoing apologies he's made before. Guess he's getting good at it. According to church statistics gathered from all dioceses, 368 reports of abuse of people under the age of 18 were made to church authorities between July 1, 2018, and December 31, 2020. They cover a period ranging from 58 through 2020. Of these, 144 cases have been confirmed or considered credible at an initial stage of investigation by the Vatican's Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. Another 186 are still being investigated. 38 have been rejected as not credible. What is clear to see is that we have a wave of reports in high numbers, said Monsignor Adam Zak, official in charge of tracking down and preventing abuse. Church's first report for 1990 through 2018 listed cases of 382 
clergyman having allegedly abused 625 minors. This is from the AP. The current report reflects new allegations and new alligators that have been made since then. 42 of the alleged perpetrators' names are the same as in the previous report, church officials said. It was an old game show. The name's the same. The new report comes as the Vatican investigates signals of abuse and of a lack of reaction by church leaders in Poland. That's a predominantly Catholic nation where the clergy enjoy special esteem. They're especially esteemed. And they've earned it. Now we shift the geographical focus northward and westward, from Poland at least, to Canada. We've had the wrong idea about Canada, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we're learning right about now. Residential schools, oh, I'll uh, share that one with you in a moment. It is on the same subject. Canada's First Nations have found a third group of unmarked graves at a so-called assimilation school in recent weeks. An assimilation school, otherwise known as a residential school, they operated in Canada for over 150 years, more than 150,000 children, that's 1,000 per year, passing through their doors until the last ones closed about 25 years ago. Indigenous children were taken from their families, often by force, housed in crowded state-funded church-run facilities where they were abused and forbidden from speaking their languages. The system's stated purpose, according to the news org Deutsche Welle, quote, to kill the Indian in the child, unquote. But in many cases, they missed their aim and killed the child, too. A First Nations group in Canada's British Columbia said this week it found 182 bodies using radar detection equipment near the site of a former such school. St. Eugene's, operated by the Catholic Church from 1912 until the early 1970s. The Lower Kootenay Band of uh, indigenous people said the search yielded the remains in unmarked graves 90 centimeters to 1.2 meters deep. That's approximately three to four feet. It's believed the remains belong to bands of the Ktunaksa Nation and other nearby First Nation people. Wednesday's discovery follows two similar discoveries of two other church-run schools in Canada in recent weeks that you have been informed of right here. More bodies at more schools. The students there at these schools were physically and emotionally abused by teachers and principals who refused them the right to speak their language and practice their culture. Really? Canada? Really? The use of the word school is a misnomer, said Cindy Blackstock, a professor at Montreal's McGill University and executive director of the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society. Quote, they were prison camps, she says. Their intent was to assimilate these students, unquote. A Truth and Reconciliation Commission, what a great idea, established about Oh, well, in 2008, to investigate residential schools, called the practice, quote, cultural genocide, unquote. Many children never returned home, either dying from neglect, disease, or suicide. Their families learned little about their fates. Some were told nothing at all. Their children simply disappeared. The Canadian government stopped recording the deaths around 1920. 
after the chief medical officer for Indian Affairs suggested that children were dying at an alarming rate. We don't want to know that. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission identified 4,100 children who went missing from around 150 schools. An indigenous former judge who led the inquiry said in an interview with the New York Times he now believes the number was, quote, well beyond 10,000 missing children. He said survivors talked about children who suddenly went missing. Some talked about children who went missing into mass burial sites. Some survivors talked about infants born to young girls at the residential schools, infants who had been fathered by priests who were taken away from them and deliberately killed, sometimes thrown into furnaces, we were told. Unquote. Canada, ladies and gentlemen. The commission requested the Canadian government conduct a fuller inquiry into the missing children, but the request was denied. The work is now being done piecemeal, led by the indigenous communities who uh, would like the answers. The federal government has promised to assist communities financially with the searches, but not actually with the searching of the searches. Yeah, you know, they used to they used to look down on us. Well, I mean, they still look down on us geographically. They're above us. But um, that's Canada, ladies and gentlemen. Gives you a, gives you a slightly um, different different color to the whole Tim Hortons thing. News of the Godly. Copyrighted feature of this very broadcast, which now turns to... This shouldn't come as news to you, but it came as news to Sky News, which reported it this week. A home filled with smart devices could be exposed to thousands of hacking or unknown scanning attacks in a single week. Homes in the UK have an average of more than 10 different connected devices. That's smart. While these products have benefits, they can also be a potential target for hackers. Hackers. Those nutty hackers. But while these oh, consumer publication, which it's like the British Consumer Reports, set up a fake home with connected products bought online, your smart TVs, your smart printers, your wireless security cameras, and Wi-Fi kettles. So if you're out of the house making tea, they were then connected to the Internet, exposing them to cyber threats and malware. Working with a cybersecurity specialist group, which saw more than a thousand unique scans or hacking attempts, with at least six of them, 66 of them being malicious. That figure rose to 12,000 for the biggest, busiest week, including 2,435 specific attempts to maliciously log into the devices with a weak username and password. Most attempts were blocked by security protections in the devices, but not always. Most attempted cases came from the U.S., India, Russia, the Netherlands, and China. The most common motivation 
for the hacking attempt, creating new botnets, which look for new unsecured devices, such as routers, wireless cameras, and printers, before using weak default passwords to get in. They can then be used as a powerful hacking tool, which said, the uh, computing editor of the magazine said, while smart home gadgets can bring benefits to our daily lives, consumers should be aware that some of these appliances are vulnerable to hackers and other and offer little to no security. There are a number of steps people can take to better protect their homes, but hackers are growing increasingly sophisticated. They're watching French movies. Proposed new government laws to tackle devices with poor security can't come soon enough and must be backed by strong enforcement, said Which, the Consumer Reports of England, or Great Britain. All right, then. Not that we didn't know it, but now we know it even more. We really know it now, don't we? We'll see. And now... News of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Fox News has agreed to pay a record $1 million to settle an investigation by the New York City Commission on Human Rights into what a panel called a culture of pervasive sexual harassment and retaliation at the network. This is, uh, you know... Started, I guess, with the whole Roger Ailes thing. As part of the settlement, the conservative news channel agreed for the next four years to waive forced arbitration clauses in employee contracts related to workplace complaints brought under the human rights law. Those clauses block employees from filing claims or disputes in court. Instead, compels them to have an arbitrator hear their allegations and um, have those results Remain secret. Yes, a news channel imposing secrecy on complaints against themselves, themselves, herself. The deal also requires Fox to hold regular sexual harassment prevention and bystander training sessions for all employees based in New York, including executives. Too bad Roger's dead. And the network must put in place a multi-tiered system for reporting discrimination and harassment complaints for at least two years, after which, okay, everything goes. The fine is the highest civil penalty ever ordered for violations of New York's human rights law, according to the commission, which issued a press release bragging on it. The changes to Fox's mandatory Arbitration rules should be seen as, quote, a model for future policy for employers seeking to boost transparency and accountability, according to an official from the agency. Fox News Media said in its own press release, it is pleased. Yeah, they went falsetto, too. It is pleased to reach an amicable resolution of this legacy matter, unquote. They claim to have already been in full compliance across the board. A series of high-profile workplace scandals in recent years involving the top brass at Fox, Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly, prompted calls for investigation from advocates in New York. Nice people doing nice things. Nice corp. And now, clean Jeep, safe. Too cheap to meet her, our friend the Adam. 
right here, right now. Scientists have uncovered a new threat to humanity. This is maybe my favorite story of the week. You may have even encountered it. Because it, it broke through. Scientists have uncovered a new threat to humanity emerging in the area surrounding the former Fouk power plant. Indestructible radioactive hybrid terror pigs. What a great name for a band. The details emerged from studies of how radiation from the partial meltdown at the plant. Ten years ago, hey, happy 10th anniversary, Fukushima, uh, how the uh, radiation affected local wildlife. In many cases, it has rewilded urban areas vacated years ago by populations forced to move, forced to move out. It's a familiar process following large-scale human evacuations, according to the Register, British Texture. Similar rewilding situations occurred in the area surrounding Chernobyl. Despite the efforts of the authorities there to control the animal population, the uh, scientists working on this project, the Fuch project, were expecting to find wild boar in the affected zone since they have been reported in former urban areas for some years, having come down from the surrounding mountains to reclaim the towns and cities of the area as their own. Almost as soon as humans vacated them. However, the scientists were not prepared for the true prospect that awaited them, as related in a report in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B Journal. Not as good as the A. The local wild boar, a um, subspecies endemic to the region known as the white-mustached pig, and who hasn't encountered them? became cocky, this local wild boar, and aggressive, and also lost their natural wariness. They also began interbreeding with escaped domestic pigs that had made good from local farms after their human keepers had been forced to flee. The pigs were ill-suited life to life in the wild in a radioactive landscape, presumably threw in their lot with the tough wily boar as their best chance of survival. The result was a new kind of boar-pig hybrid that originated in the initial exclusion zone close to the plant. study found the hybrids did not display any signs of mutation despite the doses of radiation they were exposed to. Indeed, analyses of the local boar population found they're contaminated by up to 300 times the safe human dosage of cesium-137. So they're highly radioactive and seemingly virtually indestructible. Let's use them in Afghanistan. They may comprise now, I mean, it's not that far, they may comprise up to 10% of the local population, combining the wild smarts of their boar ancestors with, you know, the pig thing. This is presumably why humans attempting to reclaim their former settlements in the area around Fouke have found it difficult to dislodge the porcine interlopers. Meanwhile, as they say in the news, even though it's not happening at the same time at all, it's, it's a fake meanwhile. The French government this week denied any cover-up over radiation levels in the Pacific Islands, the formerly French colonies in the Pacific Islands, following the nuclear testing in the region, which happened, uh, as I'm sure you know, in the uh, 
in the decades past. State-backed discussions took place in Paris about the legacy of the explosions. A two-day meeting called by French President Emmanuel Macron began on Thursday. As a matter of fact, following fresh allegations that the testing from 1966 to 1996, hey, a whole 30 years, that's neat, uh, that that three decades of testing caused hidden atmospheric and ground radiation. There was no state cover-up, Genevieve Darissieux. Sorry, Darius Sec, Defense Ministry spokesperson told Agence France-Presse in a brief comment on the sidelines of the event. She has, while there, ruled out any official apology from France for the testing. Ah, the French. In March, the investigative website Disclose revealed some 2,000 pages of uh, declassified French military documents that it analyzed about the almost 200 tests carried out around French Polynesia. Working with statistical experts and academics from Princeton, it concluded, quote, French authorities have concealed the true impact of nuclear testing on the health of Polynesians for more than 50 years. That's half a century, ladies and gentlemen. That's some good concealing. The roundtable discussions this week have been attended by three French ministers as well as Macron, who made no public comment after taking part on uh, Thursday. Edouard Frisch, the president of French Polynesia, semi-autonomous French territory, said Macron had promised to open the military archives about the tests, key demand from historians, and would visit Tahiti on July 25. Somebody who's hesitant to visit Tahiti, imagine that. Only records that could lead to nuclear proliferation are to remain secret. We felt the president had a real desire to turn this painful page for all of us, said the Polynesian official. The event has met with criticism from some Polynesian politicians as well as anti-nuclear campaigners and historians who say they've been blocked from properly investigating by French state secrecy laws. Ah, the French. Well, they'll do that. A, an official, Moital Brotherson, who supports independence for French Polynesia but sits in the national parliament of France, refused to attend unless France apologized for the tests. Over the last year, Macron has shown a willingness to tackle historically taboo issues for France, including its bloody colonial history in Algeria and its role in Rwanda in the lead-up to the 1994 genocide. They're almost almost another Canada. The nuclear tests remain a source of deep resentment and anger in French Polynesia, where they're seen as evidence of colonial or even racist attitudes that that disregarded the lives of islanders. But it's not just the French. The U.S. and Britain also carried out dozens of nuclear tests in the South Pacific during the Cold War. Only... 63 French Polynesian civilians have so far received compensation for exposure to radiation from the tests. The website disclosed claimed that its conclusions were starkly different to those of the French Commission 
whose figures served as the reference for compensation for victims of the test. They are figures regarding the radiation levels remaining after the test. In one instance disclosed, said radioactive soil deposits on an atoll had been underestimated by more than 40%, while more than 100,000 people might have been contaminated in total. France also carried out 17 nuclear tests at desert sites in Algeria. People there are campaigning for compensation as well. It's clean. It's shit. Uh, no, it's not. Um, ladies and gentlemen, a dip into the memory hole here now. You know, I'm sure by now, that uh, former two-time U.S. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld passed away this week. It was interesting that he his passing did not receive the normal sort of, well... But he was a good guy, kind of, and he's d- dead now. So uh, there was a lot of critical comment from certain quarters. But um, I-, I don't think enough recollection was made of the comments he made way back when he started helped start the Iraq War. And um, the two comments that stood out in my memory were both uh, regarding the widespread looting and disorder that occurred in Baghdad following the U.S. invasion, uh, to which Rumfeld responded first, freedom is untidy, which I didn't hear any Rumfeld supporters say last summer during the Black Lives Matter protests. I I was waiting for that. And... His summation of that disorder, which involved the looting, among other things, of museums and other historical sites in Baghdad, kind of an old city, kind of full of artifacts that you might want to preserve, but as Donald Rumfeld said at the time, quote, stuff happens, unquote. We know what we know we think we know what we don't know but if we don't know what we don't know stuff happens our intel It was bulletproof. We had the bullets, just not the proof. Our bullets, they proved what bullets Freedom can be untidy. 
been untidy. So why do you hate their freedom? Stuff happens. You fight with the army you have. Otherwise, you need another army. Produced by Jim Arizal III. A couple of changes in policy announced this week by the International Olympic Committee. They relented from their previous stance and are now going to let Olympic athletes make gestures of protest in their field of play at the Tokyo Games. A third update within 18 months of Olympic guidelines trying to limit where and how athletes express opinions included for the first time greater scope within their event arena. This appears to let athletes copy the iconic black power raised fist gestures of American spinners Tommy Smith and John Carlos at Mexico City in 1968. However, they should be allowed in Tokyo only, quote, prior to the start of the competition, unquote, and not on the podium at medal ceremonies, as Smith and Carlos did. Nursing mothers will be allowed to bring their children to the Tokyo Olympics when necessary. That's another change. Organizers have barred family members of athletes from attending the Games due to COVID protocols. Some athletes complained they were being forced to choose between the Games and their young children, 
Organizers told Reuters that the restrictions re restriction has been lifted. After careful consideration, <laughs> that's now a cliche. After careful consideration, that's saying, boy, did we screw up. Uh, of the unique situation facing athletes with nursing children, we're pleased to confirm that when necessary, nursing children will be able to accompany athletes to Japan. That's the good news. However, at the bottom of the story, organizers said that nursing children must stay in approved hotels because the residential zone of the Olympic Village is restricted, restricted for, to no, uh, only athletes and team officials. So yes, you can bring your nursing child with you, but it can't stay with you. You can visit it at the hotel to feed it. And Japan's prime minister said this week it is possible that the Olympics will be held without spectators. Repeating that threat again, Samoa withdrew its weightlifting team from the Games. Only three the weightlifters are based in Samoa. They've been barred from attending the event because they're in lockdown. And the Serbian rowing team has withdrawn from the games. The government will make a, the Japanese government will make a decision on whether to have spectators and whether to lift a quasi state of emergency. A quasi emergency. You quasi panic. Those decisions will be made this very week. Japan is likely to extend coronavirus prevention measures in the greater Tokyo region by two weeks or more, government sources say. It may reinstate a state of full emergency for Tokyo, depending on the state of the medical system. Emergency schmergency. It's the Olympics. They're a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And uh, another trip, ladies and gentlemen, to the memory hole. The old memory hole. Uh, you know by now that this week Bill Cosby was released from prison on what I'm thinking will now be known forthwith as based on a, a Cosby. A technicality, that is. The... Um, original prosecutor of his sexual abuse case, or the original district attorney in, in Ray, that case, had uh, made a promise that he would not prosecute um, so that Cosby could testify in a deposition br uh, required by a civil suit brought by one of his victims, Ms. Costan. And then the next district attorney who came into office did prosecute him. And a, a Pennsylvania court ruled that was uh uh not fair, lack of due process. And apparently that that will uh, wipe away the ability to prosecute in any of the other up to eighty cases. Up to eighty people, women, have charged him with um, 
some version of knocking them out with a with a, a drug and then uh, molesting them. So, as I say, he walked free this week uh, based on the promise of uh, a DA not to prosecute. Now, I never promised not to mock. Do you know why big kids like Rohypnol? Mm. Why? Because you don't remember you even took it. <laughs> it's guilt-free fun. And that's the same reason why grown-ups like Rohypnol. You know that? Yep. But you know why some people don't like Rohypnol? Mm-hmm. Because it's a pill. Mm-hmm. Yick. Pills are medicine. They're not fun. <laughs> but you know what's fun? Artificially flavored gelatin desserts. You got that right. And here's your prize. A nice bowl of gel hypno. What's that? Well, it tastes just like that chocolate flavor you've learned to love, right? Mmm, sure does. And it's cool and creamy because I put it in the fridge and made it with something creamy, right? Oh, yeah. So who cares what it is, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's cool and creamy. And you know what? What? It makes me feel dreamy. <sighs> Even big kids need a treat. And Jill Hypno makes it easier than ever to treat them right. Jill Hypno. From the makers of Jill Hypno. When America's dad says it's good, even big kids don't cry. And when you serve Jill Hypno, the only screams you're gonna hear are screams of delight. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. On the previous subject, Felicia Rashad, who is now Dean of Harvard University's College of Fine Arts, has issued an apology after receiving backlash and calls to resign from Howard alumni. I I know him. And other crowned voices over her tweet in support of her former co-star on The Cosby Show, Bill Cosby. Quote, This week I tweeted a statement that caused so much hurt and so many people both broadly and inside the Howard community. She wrote, I offer my most sincere apology. She had written, Finally! Three exclamation points, four exclamation points, a terrible wrong is being righted, a miscarriage of justice is corrected. She received immediate criticism. Many pointed to her responsibility as a college dean to hold perpetrators of sexual violence accountable. In her apology, she said she does not endorse or excuse behavior related to sexual violence and plans to participate in trainings to become a stronger ally. Many on Twitter were not convinced by her apology. She has never believed in his guilt. Rashad needs to resign for legacy's sake, tweeted another actress. Howard, the university, not the person, issued a statement saying that while the follow-up tweet acknowledged that victims must be heard and believed, Rashad's initial tweet, quote, lacked sensitivity. ExxonMobil Corporation's chief executive officer, Darren Woods, says the company is, quote, deeply apologetic, deeply apologetic over comments caught off camera, sorry, on camera, in a secret filming by Greenpeace. The uh, video shows one of the oil giant's lobbyists 
saying a carbon tax the company has promoted for years is unlikely to happen. Unearthed, Greenpeace UK's news division had investigator an investigator poses a headhunter when speaking with lobbyist Keith McCoy last month. Comments made by the individuals in no way represent the company's position on a variety of issues, including climate policy and our firm commitment that carbon pricing is important in addressing climate change. President, chief executive of ExxonMobil said after the Greenpeace footage was aired in Britain, referring to carbon taxes, McCoy in the film, the lobbyist says, nobody's going to propose a tax on all Americans. And the cynical side of me says, yeah, we kind of know that, but it gives us a talking point. We can say, well, what is ExxonMobil for? Well, we're for a carbon tax. McCoy didn't immediately respond for comment. In the footage, McCoy also appeared to suggest that Exxon joined a, quote, joined, quote, shadow groups to work against some of the early efforts on climate change. There's nothing illegal about that, he said. Pinchas Zuckerman, the superstar violinist, and former music director of the National Arts Center Orchestra in Canada has apologized for the racist remarks made during an online masterclass with two violin students of Asian descent last week. The class was conducted as part of a uh, violin symposium at Juilliard. After two violin-wielding sisters played for Zuckerman, he reportedly criticized their technique as too perfect and said they needed, quote, a little more soy sauce. Unquote. Later in the exchange, reported by, among other outlets, the New York Times, Zuckerman was trying to encourage the young women to make the instrument sing and said, quote, I know in Korea they don't sing. One of the sisters pointed out that she was half Japanese, not Korean, to which Zuckerman allegedly responded, in Japan they don't sing either. Then he is said to have mimicked a stereotypical Asian singing style, concluding that is not singing. Zuckerman has now apologized, noting he learned something valuable from this, vowing to do better in the future. He also said he was writing to the students to apologize. There's nothing more important to me than imparting the knowledge I've accumulated over the course of my my career to future generations. In Friday's master class, I was trying to communicate something to these two incredibly talented young Musicians, but the words I used were culturally insensitive. I'm sorry that I made anyone uncomfortable. I cannot undo that, but I can offer a sincere apology. Juilliard execs decided against posting the video of the master class with Zuckerman and apologized for the insensitive and offensive cultural stereotypes that you're not going to see in the video we're not going to let you see. Those remarks did not represent the values of the Juilliard School. What a relief that is. It's not, you know, it's not Alka-Seltzer, but it is a relief. And now more apologies. Apologies roll forward, ladies and gentlemen. Sammy Hagar. You know, who do you follow Pinkett Zuckerman with, if not Sammy Hagar? He's apologized for his depiction of his former Van Halen uh, bandmate, the late Eddie Van Halen, in his autobiography, that came out 10 years ago. Never too late, Sammy, to get a little publicity for your memoir. He depicted in detail the effect alcoholism had on Eddie Van Halen. He uh, recalled visiting Eddie's house in 2004, saying, quote, it looked like vampires lived there. 
There were bottles and cans all over the floor. The handle was broken off the refrigerator door. There were spider webs everywhere. Now, when asked if there was anything he forgot to put in regretted, including the book, he said, oh, yeah, I forgot so many really fun little things. And every day, now and then I'll wake up in the morning and have a dream, and it makes me remember something in, the childhood, in a childhood, and I'll think, oh, I should have put that in the book. But more than anything, because of the untimely and tragic death of Eddie, I apologize from the bottom of my heart for exposing his dark side to where I don't think anyone wants to hear that now. And unfortunately, it's in the book. He praised him as such a brilliant genius guitar player and such a great friend and great partner until everything went wrong, like everything else, unquote, Sammy Hagar. Sammy, everything? Dutch broadcaster NPO. Oh, they're so close. NPO. NBO. Apologized for incorrectly subtitling the first verse of the German national anthem, thereby referring to Nazi Germany. This was before the European Championship soccer match between England and Germany. The subtitle showed the text of the German national anthem's first verse, Deutschland über alles. Due to associations with Nazi Germany, that verse hasn't been used since the end of the Second World War. The wrong verse was displayed by mistake, NPO said on Twitter. This was a mistake by one of our subtitlers. We apologize to viewers who were disturbed by this. Since 1952, Germany has only been using the last verse of its three-verse-long three national anthem, Das Lied der Deutschen. That verse places emphasis on concord, justice, and freedom. The University of British Columbia's Faculty of Medicine formally apologized Friday for its role in past and present harm to indigenous peoples in Canada and committed to expand its research in response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's call to action. The faculty's dean said the school recognizes that indigenous-specific racism exists within the faculty it apologizes for harmful attitudes and behaviors. In the wide-ranging uh, apology, he said the school regrets its role in educating and training anyone involved in colonial policy and for excluding indigenous people from admissions and in its hiring. The Netherlands must apologize for its slave trade past and recognize that slavery was a crime against humanity. A committee advising the government said this week, according to Politico, the, the mayor of Amsterdam, Femke Halsema, he made a formal apology for the city's role in the slave trade. On behalf of the city's administration, I apologize for the active involvement of the Amsterdam City Council in the commercial system of colonial slavery and the worldwide trade in enslaved people. It is time to embed the great injustice of colonial slavery into the identity of our city. I'm turning the page now. Through broad and unconditional recognition, unquote. And the mayor of Baltimore apologized on behalf of the city for the 2017 lockdown of a park by Baltimore police this week. Four residents from the neighborhood reached a settlement in a lawsuit filed against the police department and the former police commissioner. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to that's going to put a mute on the tuba of this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations on your audio device of choice whenever you want. And it'd be just like more tuba in your life if you agree to join with me. Then would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show: Chapeau to the San Diego desk. Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh here at WWNO, New Orleans. The email address for this program, your chance to get Carside Talk t-shirts, and the playlist for the broadcast you're hearing, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes from you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.